Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be. I want to go back and read uh, kind of from verse 28, really uh, sort of verses uh, 18 all the way through, really apply into uh, verses 31 through 39. But I want to back up just to verse 28. Uh, I'm going to read through the text, uh, and then we will uh, sort of break it down, if you will. So uh, Romans chapter 8, going back to verse uh, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called, according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I know, uh, you know, you guys have just sort of studied through the crucifixion. Uh, and, you know, spoiler alert, uh, alert, you'll be looking at the resurrection of Jesus soon. Uh, the coming of the, the commanding of the Great Commission. All of those things are coming. So this morning, I kind of want to look at the blessing of being a child in the resurrected Savior, a child of God in Christ, uh, you know, and because of the resurrection. So again, we're going to pick it up in verse 31, but these things really sort of uh, go back to, uh, you know, the previous verses, sort of 17 through 30 or 18 through 30, which is why uh, Paul begins there in verse 31 by saying, what then shall we say to these things? Well, what things? Well, the things, again, in the last section there within our Bibles, uh, and really Uh, with the conclusion that is drawn there in those verses that we read, verses 28, 29, and 30. So he says, what then shall we say to these things? What what do we say about the suffering that's not worthy uh, to be compared with the coming uh, glory for those who are in Christ? What, 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 What shall we say to the fact that we are those that God so loved? Uh, that he sent his only begotten son, that we believed in him and we now have everlasting uh, life. What more shall we say uh, to these things? And, and and that being who we are. We are those who, you know, and, and, and again, I know in some circles of the church, these words sort of get, you know, thrown around a lot or manipulated or whatever. But But what shall we say to the things that you and I are those that God foreknew? 
that he predestined. And the idea of predestined, it's pro-horizo. It simply means that he, that, that he looked out and preordained the boundaries of our lives. And that, spiritually speaking, that he called us to be his own. And those that he called to be his own, that he would conform to the image of his son. That, that you and I don't live our lives attempting to be more like Paul or more like John or more like Pastor so-and-so, but that we be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That Jesus being the firstborn among many brethren gives us the guarantee that we too will also be those who are resurrected. And that those that he called, that he predestined, that he prohorizoed our life, he also called. And those that he called, he justified. That word justified, no doubt you know it. Justified is very plainly understood as just as if I'd never sinned. So we've been justified. And those that He justified, we are in God's eyes already glorified. Though we be in these mortal bodies, though we be stumbling around this broken, fallen world, we know that there is the assurance of of a future glory in His presence. So what then shall we say to these things? Because that's the reality going into uh, the, 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 the sort of negative aspects of what's said here. If God is for us, Well, then who can be against us? Now, here's the thing. It says, if God is for us. And in the English, it sort of looks like a hypothetical statement, doesn't it? Like, well, if God's for us, right? Like, I I don't know. Is is God for me? Is, Is that what he's saying? Like, if God is for me, is he for me? I don't know. Is he for you? I'm not really sure. No, no, no. It's not written that that way. It's not written as a hypothetical. It's not written with this question of whether or not God is for you. The word, the idea here is not, you know, if God is for us, but rather since God is for us. Since God is for us, well, who can be against us? The, the words who can, they're, they're, they're you know, it, it's, it, you, you see this like who can, and if you have it in, in your Bible, I have it in my Bible, you, you know, it's sort of, it, it has it sort of in italics, meaning like, you know, not there in the original language. They're there to be, you know, by the translators to help the reader understand the statement. It, it's not that it's translated wrong or incorrectly, it's that we assume much from the word, it, 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 uh, you know, if in the beginning of the statement. Therefore, it's there if. God is for us. Rather, since God is for us, nobody's against us. Nobody of any value is against us. It doesn't really matter who's against us. You understand? And I think this is important for us, particularly because we live in the age of of instant information. We live in the age of social media. We live in the age where you can, you know, get on your social media account, which, you know, if you some of you are really good at that, okay? I'm not. You'll never you won't find me having a social media account. You know why? I'm lousy at it. Because I'll make a statement, somebody argue, and then I'll go, no, you're wrong because. So I'm not good at it. So I, I just don't do it, all right? But the idea is, if God is for us, who could be against us? Does it really matter who is against us? Because the if, again, it's a conditional explanation in, in the Greek here. The, the idea is, since God is for us. Some Greek scholars would render it, in view of the fact that God is for us. Who can be against us? And again, the, the idea in the Greek is, is that it's so much richer than our English can put it. One Greek scholar wrote it like this, who is or who, who could be against us to do us any sort of harm? And the idea being that since God is for us, who are found in Christ Jesus, 
who have salvation in Jesus Christ, who have our sin forgiven, who have been justified, right? Just as if I'd never sinned. We have justification all by God's loving grace, God's unmerited, undeserved favor towards us, whom he personally called, who he personally predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, to be later glorified in perfection with him. If that God who did all of that on our behalf be for us, or on our side, then who could possibly be against us to harm us? And and, and if there are those against us, what do we care? I mean, you know, I I don't know. Again, because I think we live in this sort of people-pleasing sort of time in history where every statement we make is, 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 is viewed a million times and criticized, you know, a, a hundred times or, or whatever. Well, who cares who's against us? Do, do you care? Because somewhere along the way, we started to care way more than we should, didn't, didn't we? Don't we live for an audience of one? Don't we live to please the master who freed us and saved us and set us free? So if God's for us, who cares who's against us? You might even think about it in terms of what Jesus said, just, just, the, just our placement in the body, if you will, our, our place as God's children. Remember what, what, what Jesus said as the Pharisees were giving him a hard time there in John chapter 10. Starting in verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, because I and the Father are one. So we can be confident that since God is for us, it doesn't matter who comes against us. It doesn't matter. People are going to be against you. Why? Because people are always against something, especially in our day and age, right? People are against them, right? There may be some of you that, you know, like, I don't know, uh, Pastor Ben looks at you funny while he's teaching one day, right? And you're like, we are against blue chairs. We can never come there again. They have blue chairs in that building. We are done with this, right? <laughs> There'll always be some little petty thing that people can be against and make a big thing about. But at the end of the day, we stand and, and you know, we live and die before God. So who cares? Now, of course, the Christian will have those who come against us. Make themselves our enemies. And that because of their own lostness, because they don't know Jesus. But what real harm can they actually accomplish against us? Now, this is speaking from a spiritual perspective, right? You go like, what real harm? They could punch me in the face. That's fine. You know, if you grew up like me, you've been punched in the face a bunch of times. It's not that big of a deal. You get over it eventually, right? Well, I might get fired from my job. That's fine. It wasn't the job that provided for you. It was God all along. It just put you in another place. They might shut down my, you know, so what do you really care? If God's for you, who could be against you? There's no real harm that anybody can actually accomplish against us who are securely held by the God who, who, who you know, all the way back reminded us in verse 18 of, of chapter 8 here that none of what they can do against us or, or is even worth comparing or in the same ballpark with the glory that will be revealed to us. Understand, this is a wonderfully powerful statement that Paul opens this section up with about our position in Christ as God's children. And also, I think it is a good reminder 
that we don't have to place such an emphasis on what the rest of the world thinks about us. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, should we be gracious? Sure. Do we want people to come to know Jesus? Yes. But but are we going to, you know, live in such a way that we walk around on eggshells? No. We're going to walk boldly before our God. We're going to walk lovingly and humbly before Him. Because if He's for us, who cares? Who cares about the rest of the world? Now watch this. He said, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? So the world wants to come against And the world wants to remove things from us and take things from us and all those sort of things. It doesn't matter because God's the one who gives us all things. The same God who gave His only begotten Son to save us from our sin and the consequences of it, which of course is eternal separation from God in a place called hell, then we can know for sure that His love for us is so great. He won't withhold any good thing that we need to have from Him. If you, if you look at, at, at 1 John chapter 5, John, I think, helps to solidify this. This isn't, you know, as, as some within, you know, our, our more sort of a word of faith, uh, you know, brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is not, this is not like, you know, Lord, I need a Cadillac, a million dollars, and, you know, 50 pounds of gold. That's not, that's not this. Okay, don't miss that. That's not what this is. Because he'll, he'll freely give us all things that we need. He'll freely give us all things that are necessary for our lives, right? Uh, John says it like this, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. God will perfectly care for us. He will take perfect care of us and give us everything that we have need of. Paul said it to the church in Philippi like this in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So you understand, we're, we're, we're looking at how we have a God that takes care of us spiritually and, and even maintains our physical being. So again, this is important in the, in the broader context here. It doesn't matter what we go through in the sake of those coming against us for the sake of Christ. Because He has us. Because He provides all things that we need. Because we'll never find ourselves without what's necessary. Now watch what He says here. He says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Well, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Who is? You know, you know that there is one who's going to bring a constant charge against God's elect. Yeah, you could, you could say it. I know sometimes, right, when the pastor asks a question, right, you're like, I don't know if I got this right. I'm not, um, Satan, maybe, or the devil, or is there another word I use? Yeah. The enemy's always going to bring a charge against God's elect, but watch. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. If that word justify, again, is, is just as if I'd never sinned, then who cares who brings a charge against us? We stand uh, you know, just as if we'd never sinned, we, we stand now cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So bring whatever charge you want, because it won't stick, it won't hold when we, when we go to the heavenly courtroom, if you will. We have a judge that looks at us and goes, not guilty, not guilty. I bring whatever charge you want, not guilty, doesn't matter, not guilty, covered with the blood of my son, not guilty. 
Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who is he who condemns? Who, again, it's sort of, Paul, Paul sometimes writes in this sort of provocative sort of way, like saying, who's gonna bring a charge? Who? Who? Who condemns? Come on, who? Who's gonna condemn? That, that's the idea of sort of the way that Paul is writing this. Who's gonna condemn? Go ahead, try to condemn. I don't really care who tries to condemn. It doesn't really matter. Because it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who, who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes, this is important, intercession for us. Well, who are the elect? Well, the elect is simply a group of God's chosen people, the chosen out ones. The, the, the word comes from the same root word in the Greek as the word uh, which you know we, we see in, in, in Ephesians 1 is translated as chose. It, it means to choose out from oneself. Or, you know, for oneself. The idea is that God chose you and me, chose us out from the world to be his own special people. He chose us for a purpose. And what's the purpose? Well, the purpose is simple, to know him, to have an intimate and personal relationship with him. Some say God chose us to serve him, and of course we should serve God. But his purpose in choosing us is for intimacy with him. Some say that God's purpose in choosing us is to worship Him, and of course we should worship God, but His purpose in choosing us is far deeper than finding people to worship Him. God wasn't looking for, you know, for, for, for just, uh, you know, brainless, uh, you know, just obedient people like, yes, Lord, we worship You. No. We worship because of the intimacy we have, because of who we know Him to be. We've been given the place of being His children because of His love. And as we'll see, uh, you know, uh, later, uh, as as uh, as we'll see later, there just this, this this intimate love that we are His. It's First John three one. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. I mean, this is one of those verses that for twenty plus years has just absolutely blow my mind because i don't i don't know about you i don't know how familiar you are with your own faults and failures and sins and your own lostness before jesus but i'm still very 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 aware of who i was before he saved me this statement behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. That He would make us His very own children. Why? Because of His incredible love. But notice, this is why we're now in this constant conflict in the world around us. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. It's why once you come to Jesus, suddenly you get less invites to family functions. That's why once you come to Jesus, you, you walk into the break room at work and suddenly the conversation gets lowered down, right? That's why everybody seems to be all hyped up and you walk up and you're like, hey, what's up, guys? You know, and they're like, uh-uh. The world doesn't know us because it doesn't know Him. The world doesn't know our Jesus. Therefore, the world often doesn't know what to do with us. But we are the elect. We're His. He, he chose us out. D.L. Moody was famous for saying something to the effect of, I'm sure glad that God uh, chose me uh, before the foundation of the world because there's no way He would have chosen me after He saw me live. You understand? We've been chosen. We're His. It doesn't matter who wants to condemn. It doesn't matter who wants to accuse. We stand 
before the Father, covered in the blood of the Son, and just in case there are accusations that come our way, which will, Jesus our Savior makes intercession for us. He speaks on behalf of us to the Father. So that every accusation that comes, Jesus goes, covered in my blood. Nope. Nope. Your Honor, Father, my blood covered that. No, no, no. Took that to the cross. Well, there are, nope. Also on the cross. Well, you know they did. I know. You know what they're planning tomorrow? Yep, covered by the blood. Who shall bring a charge? And it's interesting because as Paul writes this, it seems that he might have the idea uh, of, of what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 50. Verses 8 and 9, Isaiah writes, He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversity? Uh, adversary, sorry. Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. This is important. Now listen, I don't say these things because I, I want us all to leave here and be jerks for Jesus either, right? Because sometimes we, uh, you know, I know a lot of Christians, especially the Christians I knew before I was a Christian myself, uh, who often just sort of portrayed being a Christian as being sort of a jerk for Jesus, a snot-nosed punk, you know, just like, well, I don't really care because I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell anyway, right? Not that, but this idea of like, wow, God, you're so good to me that, that like kids, we can say, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks back to you, <laughs> right? Because of what he's done. Because of what he's done, because of who we are now in him. So the charges can come. The accusations can come. The condemnation can come. The attacks can come. But ultimately, we're held securely in His hands because of His love for us. So let it come. Don't get caught up as the rest of the world gets caught up with things these days. And, 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 and look, I really... This is something that I have been saying for for. for a long time, and I, and I just feel like it's so important to say this every time I'm before people. The world out there is not reality anymore. Th- this, this is not reality anymore. It's not reality. Who we are in Christ is our reality. This place, I, I could pull out my, my driver's license and, and, and it'll tell you, you know, my, my name and address and date of birth and a, and a physical address. My, my driver's license will tell you that I'm a, a citizen of, of New Mexico and of the county of Torrance in, in New Mexico. But it's not true. My citizenship is in heaven. Like, we get so caught up with things. And we get caught up with the stuff that comes across headline news and, and on all these things. Somebody, I got a bunch of emails one day. You know, the Senate is going to vote to redefine marriage. I don't care. I don't care. Well, if you don't perform certain ceremonies, they're going to take... I don't care. I don't really care. It's not real to me. I don't care. What's real to me is Jesus. What's real to me is that I live before an audience of one. Well, you know, they might... I don't care. I don't care. Well, they don't like it when you say, I don't care. I really don't care. 
And might I suggest to you in the most humble and appropriate way that you too find yourself saying, I don't care. I don't care. Who's going to make an accusation? I don't care. Who's going to condemn me? I don't care. Who's going to bring a charge against me? I don't care. I don't really care. It doesn't matter to me. Because this is not reality anymore. We live in the most unreal time in human history. If we didn't have the Lord, if we didn't have His Word, we would have all lost our minds by now. He's the one that keeps us safe and sane. So again, the point that Paul makes here is how how can the one whom God chose as his own, as the elect, as the justified, in Christ, how can any accusation come and bring somehow a reversal of all God has done in our lives? How can, how can we suddenly be accused and charged and condemned, declared guilty, when we've already been saved and set free? Listen, this is not a license to sin, okay? I, I, I mean this with all love and respect. I'm not a Calvinist. This is not a license to sin. This is not, well, you're already chosen, so live like hell anyway. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. The Bible isn't saying that. There's not license for that here. We've been called for intimacy with Christ. And because I have an intimacy with Christ, I don't have any desire within me to run away and do something contrary to Him. Contrary to His love. I don't want to do anything that would be in violation of the relationship we have with one another. So don't miss that. Don't, you know, because I, because you know, we're using those words like, man, He said election. He said elect. He said predestination. He said justified. Because these are biblical truths for us. These are, these are the repercussions of God's love upon us. So it doesn't matter what comes. We're not going sim- you know, to suddenly be, be found you know, a, a reversal of what God has done. We're not going to be accused and charged and condemned. Because Jesus Christ, our Savior, who paid the price for our sin and our rebellion against God, that, that very rebellion that we inherited from Adam, Christ died in our place. He rose again to show that He of all men alone had power over sin, over death, over hell. And He, Jesus, is now seated at the right hand of God our Father. And He is interceding on our behalf. To intercede, to run up against something or someone, to speak on behalf of someone else. In modern day vernacular, Jesus has our back. He won't allow the enemy to condemn us because we've already been justified in Him. Book of Hebrews says, Therefore He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is standing in the gap for us. He's praying for you and me. And, 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 and this is bizarre to think, but that's happening even right now. Because even right now, the enemy is coming against us. And I, and I can tell you, you know, I, I, I love teaching the Bible because the more you teach the Bible, the more you live out the words that are there. And, and even during worship, even during worship, the enemy whispering things in my ear, accusations and condemnations against me in my ear, to, to where it's like, man, I don't even want to go up there. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to say the wrong thing. It's going to be horrible. You know, all that. And then the Lord's like, what are you teaching this morning? So buck up, dude. What do you care? You know? Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Because the Lord is there making intercession for us. 
And on top of his intercession for us is the fact that he is our advocate. We have an enemy that constantly accuses us before the Father. But Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is our advocate. First John chapter 2, the first two verses. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The propitiation. He is the covering for our sin. The one that blots away our transgressions. It's called love in action. And it all draws us back to the way that chapter 8 started. There is therefore no, at now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Well, watch as we uh, continue with these last few verses here. We already know that it doesn't really matter who, uh, you know, uh, who can be against us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who brings a, a, you know, who tries to condemn us or, or any of those sort of things. Well, now with that same uh, view in mind, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, if you've been paying attention thus far, you already know what the answer is. No one. Who? Who can, uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I'll just answer it for you. No one. Shall tribulation? Nope. Distress? Nuh-uh. Persecution? Not at all. Famine? No, not a, no, no chance. No, no way. Nakedness? No. Peril? Mm-mm. A sword? No. Can those things come against us? Yep. Can they hurt? Absolutely. Can you even be killed by them? Sure. Does it matter? Nope. Not really. Not really. And you go, well, I don't know. That seems uncomfortable. Okay. Ask the first century church how they felt about it. Ask the first century church how they felt about verses like this. These verses brought comfort. They weren't sitting there going like, well, actually, tribulation is, is really not fun. And, you know, famine, nobody wants to be there. I mean, we all like to eat. And nakedness, like we do need clothing. And the sword could, yeah. But it doesn't matter. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, In all these things, in tribulation, in distress, in persecution, in famine, in nakedness, in peril, in sword, in death, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We're not just getting by. We're more than conquerors. It's conditional through Him who loved us. Without Him who loved us, well, we're defeated. That's it. We're defeated. It's over. And then he says, for I'm persuaded. And he goes on and lays down the whole thing here. So again, Paul asks this final question, who or what shall separate? What will divide us from the love of Christ? Other translations you may have, it says, you know, from the love of God. doesn't really matter. And the answer, of course, is nothing. Tribulations, those, the, the trouble involving, uh, you know, suffering won't separate us. Distress, the oppression, and the restrictive, difficult circumstances of our lives will not separate us. Persecution 
which is an organized oppression and hunting down of people to harass them for their faith with the goal of inflicting pain or death for the purpose of destroying their religion, will that separate us from the love of God? No. You know how I know it won't? Because even today we have brothers and sisters throughout various places in the world, places in Asia, places in Africa, places in the Middle East who are persecuted. And they're not separated in those moments. In fact, as you read their stories, you find they are closer to God than they'd ever been before. Deny him or else. Okay, well, just go ahead and lob it off then because I'm not going to deny him. I can't deny the one that, that did everything for me. Go ahead and take your sword and just take my head right off. Deny him or we're going to do this. Family, I, I, I love you so much. I'm so sorry this is about to happen, but I can't deny Jesus. I mean, the stories of, of, of the torture that takes place throughout the world for being a Christian. Families literally being you know, abused severely right in front of the eyes of the Father. And them just singing hymns to the Lord while all of it is going on, knowing that soon they're going to awaken to His presence. And, and I say that because, again, in, in America, in America, we, we, we now see sort of a, a beginning of a persecution against the church. It is nothing compared to the persecution our brothers and sisters throughout the world face for Jesus Christ. So whatever the persecution you're, you're currently experiencing, that can't separate you. But the enemy loves to do that, huh? Right? So then we get the poor Mimi's. It's so hard to be a Christian. It's so hard. They're so mean to me. I don't know why they're so mean to me. I don't want to do it anymore. It's too hard. You're not going to be separated from the love of God. But you can be drawn deeper into intimacy with Him through the process. So what if there's a famine and no food? You think the Lord won't provide for you? He takes care of the sparrows. So what if there's nakedness? Well, get a needle and thread and find some fig leaves, man. I don't know. The Lord will provide. And what about peril, those dangerous and threatening circumstances? It'll be the Lord that sees you through. And if the sword comes, death by sword, violence comes your way, it'll be the Lord. And if it's not... You know, if, 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 I could put it like this. If it's not your time to go, it doesn't matter. They stoned Paul and left him for dead in Lystra. And what did God do with that situation? Paul later writes that he went into the third heaven and saw things which were, you know, unlawful for him to express. And yet from that moment on in Paul's life, he had such a desire to see people saved and to live right before God because of the things that he saw there. God can use anything for his glory and for our good. And none of these things will ever separate us from his love. And the reality is this. <laughs> if our lives end for the sake of Christ, and even if they don't end for the sake of Christ, just for the Christian in general, when we take our last breath, not only will we not be separated from the love of God, we will suddenly be experiencing the love of God in ways like we never could in these physical bodies. We'll be in his presence, just washed over by his love, just as it was for, for, for me, maybe for some of you, as you were originally baptized in the Holy Spirit, just washed over by the love of God over and over and over, and just going like, whoa, I never experienced anything like this before. So he says, shall those things separate us? No. Then in verse 36, he's, it's really just a quote from, from Psalm 44 too. And the idea of Paul quoting the psalmist is that we will suffer for our faith in Christ at times. 
But there's nothing that can come our way that will ever separate us from God's love. I mean, you know, Paul knew firsthand about the sufferings for Christ. That's who's writing this. We just finished last Sunday. In fact, we just finished the book of Acts. I can tell you Paul knew firsthand what it was like to suffer for Christ. And yet with that, one of the very last things that he writes, the last letter that he writes, he says this in 2 Timothy. He says to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, 2 Timothy 3.10. My manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. But I love this warning. I remember one time years ago, a pastor had come and, and, and he was teaching out of Second Timothy, uh, uh, this chapter here. It was years ago, before I was a pastor. And he said, everybody write, everybody write the date down. You've been warned here. And he, and he, and he quoted this here, Second Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will. Not might, will suffer persecution. But none of it will separate us from the love of God. None of it. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And again, none of that will separate us from the love of Christ. So with all these warnings, Paul knew that we, those who are in Christ Jesus, are more than conquerors through or because of our relationship with him who loved us. And it's interesting because he, he, he says this, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors, it's, it's a single word in the Greek. It's, it's huper nikao, and it speaks of being completely and overwhelmingly victorious. Man, that really sets, for me, that sets my heart at ease. It doesn't matter what comes my way because I am completely and overwhelmingly victorious in the midst of it all. And so are you. But again, that victoriousness is conditional on it coming through or by reason of Him who loved us. Which is why Paul can make this absolute statement at the very end of all of this. He says, for I am persuaded. The idea of I am persuaded is, is I have become and I remain uh, convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing like this in the whole world. I, I can tell you, as a guy who practiced just about everything found within New Age philosophy, who practiced Native American medicine, who practiced, uh, you know, uh, uh, Buddhism, uh, who practiced uh, Wicca, uh, you know, all, all of these things, there's nothing in the world like this, like the assurances that we have in Christ Jesus. There's nothing like this. And it's important not only for us to understand that and to live that out, but, but, but let me just say, if you are a Christian in here, it is important for you to also model this and proclaim it to the world around us. Because I have to tell you, the things that we see taking place, secular humanism on the rise, just, eh, there's no God, there's no need for a God whatsoever. 
We're, we're seeing even in small little areas where we live, there's, there's now uh, just south of us a little pocket where uh, they have bought some land and they're, and they're making uh, um, like this sort of hyper, uh, well, an Islamic community. Right? And, and it's being sold as, you Christians are weak. But I'll tell you what, come to our side. You guys have no hope, but come to our side. And here's how you're going to get... No. You can't take away anything that Jesus has done. You can't take away anything that's in the Word of God. And nobody has anything to offer me personally or you that comes anywhere near what we have in Christ. It doesn't matter. So they'll complain about us. So... They won't, they won't like the, you know, the Bible verses. So, they'll tell, you know, we're in that season again, right? Like, happy holidays. No. <laughs> happy birthday, Jesus. You know, not happy holidays, you know, whatever. But they'll, they, those that don't know Christ, will always act as those that don't know Christ. The problem is, is that for a, a little too long, we got comfortable here. And we expected a certain... I don't know, cultural Christianity. We expected lost people to live as if they were found, as if they were saved, and they're not. We're his representatives. And we want to represent him well because of his great love for us. Because of the love that he has shed upon us and drawn us into and, and and let me just say this as we as we bring this all to a to a close here. Every single thing that we just looked at is true for the Christian, but is not for the non-believer. And and, and let me tell you why that's important. Because first of all, if you're a non-believer. <laughs> in here, watching. These things could be yours, but they can't be yours until you've received forgiveness from God offered to you because of His grace, His undeserved favor towards you. Through the sacrifice made, the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation, the big fancy word, the blood of Jesus which was shed to cover our sin. But if you've not received that, then none of these things are for you at all. The world around us doesn't have any of these promises to hold on to, to say, this is mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, hallelujah, it's mine. And that's why they act the way they do. Because they don't have truth. They've never experienced true love. And that's why they act so unloving because they've never been washed over with the love of a Savior, with the love of a Father. These things are beautiful and powerful and necessary and wonderful. And I really hope that we, the church, would live these things out, but would also say, hey, man, have I got something to share with you? Let me tell you how there could be freedom. Let me tell you how you can experience love. 
Let me tell you how you can experience peace. Let me tell you how you can experience joy. Let me tell you how you can experience forgiveness. Let me tell you how even your conscience could be cleaned. That is all found because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. But don't forget, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. People are walking around in darkness and in lostness. And maybe some of you are, maybe some watching on the light. You know, I don't know everybody. That's that's the beauty of being the guest, right? Like, I don't know. Like a lot of you seemed like good Christian folks greeting me and like hugging me and hey, how are you? And praise the Lord. But like, I don't know. You know. You know where you're at before the Lord. So let's, let's close in prayer and with the opportunity to be made right with him. Father God, I thank you for this day, for this time, for your word. I thank you for the beautiful, wonderful truths that are found. Found in you because of your incredible love for us. And God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move right now in such a way that every single person in here, every single person that can listen to this and watch this later, Lord, that your Spirit would fall upon them, that you would examine each one of us right now. So that, Father, if we find ourselves not being able to say we truly know you because we don't know your Son, then your spirit would convict us right now. Then we would understand, God, that we are lost without you. And we're lost in sin, in wrongdoing. We're lost in our own wickedness, our own rebellion against you. Father, would you convict our hearts sweetly and draw us to Jesus, our Savior, that we would be able to cry out, even if we don't even understand fully what it all means, that we would be able to cry out, Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. I've rebelled against you. I've refused to do things your way. I have made my own path in life, and I'm wrong. Father, I pray that you would forgive me. I want to be made brand new. I want to be forgiven. I want to know your love. I want to experience your peace and your joy. I want to have freedom. So would you wash over me now by your Spirit? Would you take the blood of Jesus Christ, shed on the cross, and apply it to my life to remove my sin? And wash me clean. For I believe that I could be a brand new creation in Christ this morning. I believe, God, that you love me. I believe that you want to fill me with your spirit, and I ask you to do that right now. I believe you want to guide my life and direct my life. I believe, God, you have a greater purpose for me than I've ever realized. And I ask, God, that you would reveal that to me 
and work that out in my life as I surrender my life for you. For I trust you, Lord. And I thank you, God. And I love you, Lord. Even as I now receive your love and your forgiveness and your salvation. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.